sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet and my feet rose to When death was arrested, my life began. Know your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. chains. I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom faithfully bore. Yeah, he canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. In all your grace, so washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. And it's your endless, and it's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now. Life Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in it. That's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when death was arrested and my life began.
my life begin Hey, good morning church. Uh, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome to our second week in our Gate Crasher series. Uh, we are excited to launch that series last week. Uh, welcome to all of you who are listening to the podcast, wherever you may be listening to the podcast, and whenever you may be listening to the podcast. Uh, we are excited to have you with us and have you be a part of this uh, season. Uh, as I said, we started this new series last week, uh, Gate Crashers. Um, and we looked at that exchange between Peter and Jesus, and Jesus asked that question, you know, well, who do people say I am? And the disciples answer all these different answers, and then he asked specifically, well, who do you say I am? And that, that confession, that declaration of Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' reply is, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. We talked about Jesus using that word ecclesia, ecclesia. And how we know that, you know, to be now meaning uh, church. It's used throughout the remainder of the New Testament to kind of point to the idea of church. But at that point, it's just a called out gathering of people. It's just a, a called out people. And so Jesus is the foundation and, and we see that. And then he builds and owns the church. And he ends that phrase with this great, with this great promise that uh, the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. The church will prevail against sin and death. And uh, so we're excited to now move into kind of like, what does that look like in the different roles of the church and the different uh, ways that is expressed in the ministry of the church? And, and again, I, I want to I dial us in before we really get deep here. Whenever you hear throughout... Uh, not just today, but this series, uh, the word church, I am not meaning specifically Mount Pleasant. Uh, I am talking big C church, global church, the church as a whole. But even beyond that, can we take it a step further and really dial it in to say, I am speaking about the body of committed believers. Uh, we know that people are on different spots in their journeys and uh, different uh, places spiritually. When I talk, as, as we talk about like the role of the church, I am talking about committed, growing disciples who are like on it. And so uh, that's when you hear me say the word church, like that's what I'm speaking of. These are the things that I see in scripture that the church, the established body of believers should be doing, are being called to do, are being called to live out as we, as we are owned and built by Jesus and as we crash into the gates of Hades. Um, and so that's what we're going to be kind of looking at the next couple of weeks. But before we get any further here, let me pray for you this morning. Gracious God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in the Word together and, and, and to hear uh, some statements from Jesus today. Um, as well as some words from Paul today, who, who together are calling us to fulfill this mission for the church to, to bring healing and restoration to people. And so, Father, would you give us the ability to do that even now? 
Holy Spirit, as we as we're in the Word together, as we uh, spend this uh, sermon time together, would you take flawed words from a flawed person and have them land on hearts and minds and ears that are desiring to see you move and work? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you stretch us? Would you heal us? Would you encourage us? We thank you for all this, and we give you all the glory and honor, and all of God's people said, amen. Uh, so as we, as we continue to crash into the gates of hell, that's, that's really, you know, the idea of a gate crasher, somebody who, who gets into an event or a party uh, without being invited. That's, so, so that's kind of not really uh, applicable here, but the idea of like crashing in to the gates of Hades, storming, if you will, the gates of Hades, coming up against sin and death. Um, the church takes on some different roles. And as I said, we're going to be looking at those over the next couple of weeks. And, and the title of this sermon specifically is triage. Triage is a, is a medical term used in uh, a lot of emergency departments or, or ERs where uh, as, as a, a, a big influx of, of maybe a mass casualty situation or a, a major issue is coming in, um, they go about the assignment and assessment of degrees of urgency to wounds and illness for treatment. And so certainly, we know, you know, we know that, that uh, the church is a great place, hopefully a great place for healing. Um, maybe you've seen some of these uh, humorous church signs or uh, bulletin mistakes that aren't necessarily like um, meant to be humorous, but they come off as humorous. There's a great one that's around, uh, you can Google it. Uh, a church sign that says, Are your, uh, don't let your worries kill you, let the church help, uh, which is worded <laughs> a, little, a little incorrectly. Uh, hopefully the church is not helping with uh, killing you, but hopefully um, the desire would be that the church is bringing healing and, uh, and, and restoration to you. And, and to start this week, uh, I'd really like us to, to, to hear some words from Jesus in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today as we hear um, some of Jesus' heart and then as we see that heart played out in the role of the church. And so we're in Luke chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 29. This is the calling of Levi or Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. Just to kind of lead us up to uh, verse 29, uh, Jesus meets him. He's sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. Dude gets up and goes. So we pick up in verse 29, Luke chapter 5. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect Complained, in, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now we need to understand real quick before we just uh, grab that last verse and see what Jesus' response to that is. Like, nobody likes the tax man, right? Like, w- we can all agree with that. Like, you know, uh, I, have, I have a dear friend who is a former IRS agent. Uh, he is uh, part of our conference leadership and I, I don't think I've been at a meeting without the guy uh, where 
they don't, they don't bring that up at some point. Like once an IRS man, always the IRS man. And, uh, you know, said, said it lovingly and jokingly, but, you know, there's this thing that we don't care for taxes and, uh, you know, the government taking their fair share or unfair share, depending on how you feel about it. So we can kind of identify with this, but our dislike of the tax man probably pales in comparison to the um, vibe that's going on here. When they say uh, in the NIV, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Sinners is in quotes. And depending on the um, version of scripture you're reading, there's some more descriptive words that are used in that, in that spot. They compare tax collectors to prostitutes or uh, the, the, the lowest of the low, mostly because tax collectors uh, were usually uh, shady at best, corrupt at worst, and would oftentimes um, sort of do their uh, Jewish brothers and sisters dirty financially uh, in order to benefit the Roman Empire and, of course, their own pocket. So that's kind of why there's this level of like intensity here. Why? The, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The other thing we need to understand culturally is to eat with somebody, to sit down at a table and have someone as part of that meal, man, was, was super important, right? It showed that there was a level of acceptance, a level of... of um, welcome. Not just anybody came and sat at your table. Not just anybody. You didn't just sit down and eat together. This was, this was really important, really valuable. And so the Pharisees are really thrown by this. Why? Why? Why, why, why? And Jesus responds, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As I was reading the commentary for this passage of Scripture, I came across a line in the commentary that has really, really challenged me. And it's this. And clearly this Scripture was written way before any of this COVID stuff or way before any of this coronavirus stuff. And even the, the commentary is reading, it's, it's the IVP commentary. It's been around forever. You know, it's been around for a while. And the statement is this. When Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Church, we need to understand that Jesus desires, Jesus' ultimate heart desire is recovery of the sinner, not quarantine of the sinner. As the church, we need to understand that our Savior's heart and desire is recovery of sinners, not quarantine of sinners. In order for the church to fulfill its role in the healing process and recovery of people, we must understand the heart of Jesus. The call of Matthew, the call of Levi, clearly places the mission of Jesus squarely in opposition to the mentality and view of the religious elite of the time. The healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. 
the religious leaders that are present here, the Pharisees, their motivation is, is they're motivated by this false commitment to piety or purity. They're, they're, they're motivated by the sense of what, what God requires of them. They're motivated by a fear of, could we even say, risking exposure to the world or to the immoral. Shun, out, shun the outsider. Shun the sinner. And criticize those who try to relate in a healthy and engaging way to sinners. That's the motivation of the religious elite we see here in Luke 5. That's the motivation of the Pharisees. Jesus' motivation is, is completely different. Jesus is motivated by his heart for sinners, expressed by his words to Zacchaeus. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Boy, aren't we certainly familiar with the idea of quarantine now, right? If I had preached this sermon six months ago and had read that commentary six months ago, to read the phrase that Jesus is more concerned with the recovery of sinners than the quarantine of sinners would have meant something totally different than me, to me. I wouldn't have a great idea of what quarantine really is. I understand the concept, but I wouldn't have lived it out like we have to some degree, some of you more so than others, over the last two months, two and a half months. Jesus doesn't look at sinners and say, hey, you need to be isolated. You need to be avoided. You need to be removed. There needs to be distance. Instead, he looks at them and he says, you need to be restored. You need to be recovered. I'll be honest, and I say this with, with peace in my heart and my hands in the air, peace and love in my heart and my hands in the air. There are some of you who are adamantly anti-quarantine right now. And understandably so. I get it. But with the same breath that you are anti-quarantine, you are pro the quarantine of sinners. With the same breath in which you, you rail against the unnecessary quarantine we find ourselves in, you also look at some folks who are wrestling and struggling and say, hmm, I don't, wouldn't want anything to do with them. We need to get back together. We need to, we need to come together. As long as you aren't one of these people. The truth being that we are all infected and that Jesus is the only doctor. I take that back. Jesus isn't the only doctor. Jesus is the only cure to what we are infected with. Our goal as the church should be the same as Christ's. To desire and see recovery of sinners, not quarantine. It means getting messy. It means additionally admitting and letting others see our mess. I've been very challenged. Uh, I've been meeting with a group of young adults. Uh, we're trying to, uh, we were on the cusp of getting a, a young adult ministry kind of conference-wide kicked off, right? Uh, in fact, we had, a, we had an event scheduled the Friday night that uh, the first weekend that we uh, kind of all went into social distancing and and lockdown and all that stuff, and so that's kind of been put on hold. But we've been reading this book, uh, The Passion Generation by Grant Skeldon, and, and he talks about discipleship being not just come and meet with me, but come and be a part of my life and see 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And so as you and I as the church, as we as the church, want to reflect Christ's mission, it's going to require us not only to get messy with others, but then to invite them and allow them to realize and see our mess. It's going to require us to be around the hurting. It's going to require us to seek justice. It's going to require us to seek recovery in all areas, both those that we are familiar with and have experienced and those that are outside of our context. Jesus' words in Luke 31 and 32 are powerful for us as the church. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so earlier I talked to you about like what, what I mean when I say the church. What I say when, when I mean when I say the church, I'm talking about those of us, those of you who have, are walking that out. Those of you who have come and said, yeah, I'm sick. I'm sick with sin. Jesus, I acknowledge you as the cure. And he, he replaces our unrighteousness with his righteousness. In the sense of that illustration kind of playing itself out, you know, really, really and I'll admit to you that when I get a cold, I become a pretty big man baby, and right away I'm like, I think I should go to the doctor. And Amy, like, mocks me and uh, belittles me to the point where I don't do it until, and then like a day or two later I'm feeling better. But really, like, the point of going to the doctor is because you have no longer the ability to, to fix whatever issue is at hand yourself. Um, you need a prescription that you yourself cannot go and buy. You need some level of expertise that you yourself do not have. You need some connection to resources or knowledge that you yourself don't have. In and of yourself, you can no longer solve the problem that you are now confronted with. Jesus is the same. When it comes to our sin, nothing you and I do is able to overcome that. There's no pathway outside of Jesus that gives me cured of the illness of sin. I have to have Jesus. I have to have Jesus. And here's what's so great, right? So I said we're going to be in Luke chapter 5 to hear kind of that heart of Jesus that he, he came to be, you know, the doctor to the sick. He came to bring righteous to the unrighteous, um, righteousness to the unrighteous. Now flip with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there we hear Paul talk about how this like plays out to some degree in the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite verses in scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Man, how awesome is that? 
that you and I get to hear the heart of Jesus as he says in Luke chapter 5 that, hey, listen, why am I sitting with the sinners? Why am I sitting with the tax collector? Because they're the ones who need salvation. The ironic thing being, of course, that the Pharisees were just in as much need, if maybe you could even say more need of salvation, but they were missing it. The sick need the doctor, man. Jesus desires recovery for sinners, not quarantine for sinners. And the beautiful thing that we just read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that recovery from the sickness of sin is available to everyone who receives reconciliation through Jesus. Paul lays this out, this idea. What does it really look like for the church? How do we, how do we really live this out? Paul lays out this treatment plan discussing the ministry of reconciliation. And, and we're familiar with that, that phrase, reconciliation. That's something that we've probably heard a couple times, and I've certainly preached on this passage before. The Greek uh, word that, that appears there, reconciliation, is kata, kata lage. Kata lage. And, and it does indeed mean restoration of the favor of God to sinners through the through repentance and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like, the reconciliation that Paul is talking about there is spiritual. But katalage also carries with it in a business sense the exchanging of equivalent values. There's a debt. The, the ministry of reconciliation covers a debt, and it's, it's even. It's covered. I would make the argument that it's covered and then some, but it's covered. There's an exchange of equivalent values. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a complete exchange available to us. We, we picked up in 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 16. Just bump up a couple of verses and check out 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Man, church, recovery from the sickness of sin is available to everyone who receives reconciliation through Jesus. One died for all of us. It's available to everybody. So reconciliation is like this moment. It's this event that takes place in the moment. It's, it's the initial treatment, if you will, to wipe out the virus. But there's, there's additional process then, too. We're, we're going we're gonna to see about that in a minute. But, but because Jesus came for recovery, not quarantine, and because, as we know from Romans, all have fallen short of the glory of God, we're all guilty. And so because this illness is in all of us, the cure must be available to all of us. So in this beautiful process in which God reconciles sinners back to himself through Christ, this, man, this is so amazing to me. This is so incredible to me. Like, what we're about to, to really dive into here as we, as we kind of look at the tail end of this passage from, from 2 Corinthians 5. Um, you've probably heard stories. I, I'm aware of, of some stories, uh, a family uh, a family member of mine is close friends with somebody who, who uh, their life sort of mirrors this. And you've probably heard, heard some stories like this. Um, 
the idea of somebody who, who maybe has cancer as a kid, uh, deals with cancer either in themselves or in their family as a kid, and grows up and through that experience is drawn towards medicine uh, and becomes an oncologist or a doctor that is, is fighting that fighter or, or trying to treat those who uh, are, are dealing with the same thing they dealt with. Uh, that, that's a little bit of the story of how I came into youth ministry, if, if you know that story. Um, you know, my parents split up when I was in fourth grade, and I had some people who did a lot of great things to love me and care for me, but as I entered into, like, middle school and high school, I was a mess. Like, I was an absolute mess. Like, my parents will tell you that, like, there were some really, really hardcore, like, man, I, I would just, like, snap and, like, clear the dinner table. My mom always talks about that. You would just clear the dinner table. Or I would just like, you know, it just seemed like I was so out of control. And there were so many times looking back, like, again, I had good people. There was great people in our church, great, great teachers and stuff who were caring for me and loving, for, loving on me and, and wanting best, best for me. And I know my parents were, man, praying desperately for me in that season. But, like, looking back, like, as I, as I came through high school and, and into my early college years, I realized, like, man, I wish I would have had somebody who was just, like, the person who would get in my face and be able to love me in such a way, such an aggressive way, maybe we could say, a tough love kind of way, that I knew had earned the influence to do that. And as I saw that in myself and and wanting that, um, somebody who wouldn't be my parents, somebody who wouldn't be uh, you know, so, somebody who uh, kind of understood me and what I was going through. Man, I think that's part of why the Lord called me to youth, to youth ministry is because there was this piece of me that wanted to be that for, for other teenagers. And so part of, part of this whole deal, this whole reconciliation thing, as we, as we you know, pick back up in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, that God himself was re- reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And just grabbing the first couple of verses of chapter six. As God's fellow workers, we urge you, not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I said to you earlier, when I say the church, I'm talking about a committed group of believers. Be reconciled so that then we can see others become reconciled. And, and, and we've been hitting this. We hit this last week in the podcast, in the sermon. I think there's this thought among some of, some of my brothers and sisters who I love dearly that, that, man, if I can just get somebody to church on Sunday, if I can just get them in the door on Sunday, man, could I say to you that you are the church? You are the church. They have one of Christ's ambassadors in front of them. I'm all for bringing people to church. I'm all for bringing people to Sunday service. But man, they are in front of you in the moment. You are the one that has been reconciled. You are the one who has opportunity to reconcile that person back to Jesus. You can be used by that. You can be used in that. 
And so church, I'm asking you as we wrap up this morning, are you aiding in the reconciliation of others or not? As we move into chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, I tell you, now is the time. Now is the time. We must no longer be satisfied with simply being church folk or making church folk, simply being good people. All those things are great, and those, I applaud you for those things. But what we want to be is reconciled folks who then walk alongside seeing others reconciled. Are you looking for others with a desire? Are you looking at others with a desire to see them reconciled? If it breaks the heart of the reconciler, does it break your heart? And as I close today, I want to tell you about some broken heart. Many of you are aware that uh, through the end of this week, a story that has become far too often told played itself out again across our headlines and our news. The story of George Floyd dying while being handled by a police officer. The story of a black man dying while in police custody. And I want you to hear me say uh, here as you listen to this um, that I serve a God who is a God of life. I serve a God who is a God of justice. And this cannot continue to happen. This cannot continue to happen. Regardless of where you stand and feel about this issue, and I know there's a, any number of opinions, but man, like, as the church, if we are not standing and saying, the reconciler's heart is broken at the loss of life. The reconciler's heart is broken at this injustice. The reconciler's heart, the Lord's heart is broken at the brokenness of our system. Then are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing? And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you as we crash into the gates of Hades, that we are doing that across the board, not just in the scenarios and circumstances and contexts that we're aware of and we're familiar with, but that we are echoing the heart of Jesus that desires recovery for the sinner, not quarantine. And that as we come to the table alongside people, as, as those who have been reconciled in Christ, we then come alongside those who we desire to see reconciled in Christ. And so I want to just pray encouragement for you this week, church. Father God, would you come, uh, boy, Lord, would you just come and, and cover would you come and be present in the hearts of minds of believers? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege and for, for um, the blessing of being reconciled. I thank you that I've been able to, to, to enter recovery from my sin and to continue to grow in that and continue to work out that process. 
And so as we do that, Lord, would you grow us as the church? Again, not here at Mount Pleasant, although certainly would you grow Mount Pleasant in this. Would you grow us as the church, as, as the body of believers, as people who are desiring to be disciples and followers of Jesus and claim him as Savior and Lord? Father, would you just allow us to come alongside and see others reconciled? Father, would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you show us how to claim you in the face of injustice? Would you show us how to love others outside of our context and our understanding and not quarantine them, but see them as you see them? Thank you, Lord, for your promise that the gates of Hades will not prevail against your church. We ask this all in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Blessings to you, church. Let the King of my heart 